The following program, The Voice for Southeast Texas, is paid for by the Dana Steele Campaign. Welcome from the Associated Credit Union of Texas studio. This is The Voice for Southeast Texas with Houston radio legend and Texas Radio Hall of Famer, Dana Steele. Good morning and welcome to The Voice for Southeast Texas. I am Dana Steele. Uh, Welcome back from Thanksgiving. I'm feeling a little heavier maybe in the chair than I should. There was an awful lot of butter and um, processed cheese food. What is that? But whatever it was, I ate it with an entire box of Triscuits and uh, had a great time. And of course, it was the classic first Thanksgiving with my oldest son. Son 1.0 and his wife decided to invite all the parents and the siblings, her parents, his mom and stepdad. um, I call her my wife-in-law. And then uh, his dad, my husband, and uh, me, the stepmom. And it was great. And then a timer went off on something, so he turned the timer off. Of course, that turned the oven off halfway through the cooking of the turkey. So um, it took a few more bottles maybe of Prosecco and Chardonnay before that turkey was done. They were so stressed. And it was like... Just calm down. We're right. all, you know, Domino's delivers on Thanksgiving if we needed it. But it all, everything turned out great. So I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We have a full studio today. Give you a quick rundown. My co-host today, Stacia Scruggs and Brenda Sykes with Bay Area Turning Point. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank, thank you, you so for much. having us. All right. Going to be hanging out with us today, talking about the big holiday market that is coming up on December the 14th at Sylvan Beach Pavilion there in Laporte. I am your honorary chair and very honored to be so. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Um, also, uh, Richard Albin with the Alzheimer's Association of Houston. Morning. Good morning. Thank uh, you for You and I were on the yeah. air about two years ago together. It Absolutely. doesn't seem like that long, but I think it has been. Uh, it is the last few days of National Alzheimer's Awareness Month. And in case you don't know, I lost my mom to Alzheimer's and wrote a book of dark humor, which is how I dealt with it. Surviving Alzheimer's, surviving Alzheimer's with friends, Facebook, and a really big glass of wine. That wine's just popping back up in there. Isn't it? Uh, and then the last half of the show, we are going to get very serious with Dr. John Jacob, director of the Texas Coastal Watershed Program. There is a free program tonight at Gilruth, uh, the public entrance off of Space Center Boulevard on the campus of Johnson Space Center. The Bay Area Storm Water Flooding Forum is tonight from 7 until 10. Again, a free event. Harvey, Ike, and Our Future, which is, um, you know, so important to Southeast Texas and uh, Texas District 36. So many of us still recovering from these floods. And while the recovery continues, when and we try to help people find money and, and help to recover, we also have to think about the future. What are we going to do to keep this from happening? Um, and there, there are two factions that I know of, and it's 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 more natural approach. And then there is the building the Ike Dyke. So we'll be talking about a little bit of those things. Um, Stacia, yes, tell me about. Let's talk about the market. Not only what happens at the market and where we can get tickets, but um, also uh, how this does change and transform lives. 
Okay, so um, we have the Holiday Market for Bay Area Turning Point, which will be held on Thursday, December 14th at beautiful Sylvan Beach Pavilion. Um, starts at 10.30 a.m. And it is just a great time, great fun um, for a cause. So there we'll have entertainment, we'll have dancers, we'll have Elvis performing, we'll have a host of different vendors selling jams and um, different Arts and crafts, bath bombs. It is just as good as the Nutcracker Market at the the Reliant without yes. Yes, having is. to drive to Reliant and yes. park with 600 million people. And right. you get and lunch. The, and you get lunch. And the Sylvan Beach Pavilion is so beautiful. What a great venue that yes, is. Yes, it sits right off the water. It is gorgeous. Well, we're going to give mm-hmm. out the, the ticket information and, and talk a little bit about Bay Area Turning Point throughout the hour. I always ask a nonprofit to come and, and act as my co-host. I'm very happy to have the Bay Area Turning Point here. The phone number real quick for tickets. They can call 281-338-7600 and you can ask for myself, Stacia, or anyone that answers the phone can help you. Monday through they Friday. better. Yes. <laughs> yes. So buy those tickets. We'll give out the number. I'll also post it when the when the podcast is through today. We're going to be back and talk about National Alzheimer's Awareness Month. You're listening to The Voice for Southeast Texas. I'm Dana Steele.
If you would like to be in the studio audience for Dana's show, contact info at vinyldraft.com. That's info at V-I-N-Y-L-D-R-A-U-G-H-T.com. Now, back to more of Dana Steele, the voice for Southeast Texas from the Associated Credit Union of Texas studio. You know, we felt to throw some Christmas music in there. It's going to be 80 today. Right. I was in Denver last week, and it was 70. Um, we'll talk to Dr. John Jacob a little bit later on about that climate change thing, that global warming isn't <laughs> yes. really happening. My co-hosts today are Stacia Scruggs and Brenda Sykes from the Bay Area Turning Point. Uh, we're also visiting with our guest on Facebook Live. So when we're, we're in a break, you can continue on with the conversation there. And everything we talk about, the hotline for Bay Area Turning Point, uh, tickets for the holiday market, the program going on tonight, my next guest, Richard from the Alzheimer's Association, I promise when everything is over, I will list all of the phone numbers and links so that you can uh, find any of this information. Joining me right now from the Alzheimer's Association uh, for Houston and Southeast Texas, which covers District 36, is Richard Elbean, the CEO. Thank you, Richard, for coming in. Thank you. Happy to be here. It is the last few days of National Alzheimer's Awareness Month. Um, of course, it's something you and I try to make people aware of. 24 7 12 months a year all the time give me an update on what is happening in a nutshell are we are we finding out anything are we even close to figuring out what is causing alzheimer's well i think the the good news is that the number of researchers involved with alzheimer's disease has increased significantly so I think it's moved from the shadows to the to front and center as an issue that people care about. And as I think all of us care about Alzheimer's, researchers pay attention as well. So the, the interest has moved from simply just understanding the disease, or for a long time everybody thought they would just find the cure, that the silver bullet was going to be identified and, and everyone was going to be given the medication and that would be the end of the story. And more, there's an understanding this is a chronic disease that is going to it's very complicated it's the brain and so uh, trying to really identify how the disease develops and spreads and how to manage it and then also probably what all of us sitting around this table and everyone who's listening is interested in how do we prevent this disease right i was going to say um starting right now if you're in your 20s your 30s your 40s what can you be doing um because we don't know 100% sure what prevents it, but Correct. we are starting to get some best practices of what they think. So what is that? Well, so so just to be clear, the biggest risk for Alzheimer's disease is aging. 
and none of us are likely to prevent that. We're not going to escape that. that so. Right. I'm, I don't think most of us want to sign up for the prevention of aging. So, uh, so knowing that that's the biggest risk factor, and of course, often people say, well, I'm not at risk because no one in my family has Alzheimer's. And, you know, they may not have lived long enough to develop Alzheimer's, but if you plan on being around, at age 65, your chances of developing Alzheimer's are one in nine. And if you live to be 85, your chances are one in two. So if you live to be 85 and your spouse lives to be 85 as well, one of you is, probably one of you gonna, is a caregiver right. and one of you has Alzheimer's. So with that as the, as the risk, the biggest risk, then the, what we're left with are the things that we have control over, which is really lifestyle decisions. And we know that what's good for the heart is good for the head. Mm -hmm. And most of us know all of those heart-healthy activities like weight management, not being obese, exercising, you know, so doing cardiovascular exercises as your heart pumps, the first place that blood goes with oxygen is into your brain. So of course, the healthier your heart is, the healthier your brain's going to be. And then we know that things like diet make a difference. So we don't know that it prevents Alzheimer's, but we know that it promotes healthy aging and a healthy brain. So um, there are some small studies that have been done in Finland, for example, called the finger study. And in that study, the things that seemed to make a difference were managing diseases like diabetes and heart disease. So we know that that managing those kind of problems seems to be beneficial. And then we know that social interaction as we age is, is positive. So people who start to isolate probably are at greater risk of deteriorating their brain function than if they remain socially engaged. And then exercise, maintaining some kind of activity as we age. So a lot of times we think, oh, you know, mom's 85 and she's kind of frail, so she probably can't do anything. Well, she can still do chair aerobics. She mm -hmm. can still do keep something. Moving. Yes. Keep moving. That's right. So right. she needs to play bridge or mahjong, and she needs to go ahead and even if it's chair aerobics or walking the dog around the block, she needs to keep doing that. You know, one of the things that I've read a lot about is sleep. Sleep mm -hmm. is a good thing. It's when your brain rest and repairs maybe a little bit or you just you got to give your brain a break and my mother as as outgoing and loving and funny and crazy as crazy fun as she was she was actually a fretter she was a worrier she was you know a little bit of drama queen going on that most people didn't see and she would be up all night uh, worrying about just anything and everything so I have really tried to teach myself to um, make the bedroom a place where I really relax, no screens, no screens before I go to bed, uh, maybe some essential oils. I know that's kind of, you know, ooh, ah, karma stuff, but, you know, I've read it works, so I'm doing right. a little yeah, lavender right. oil yeah. and maybe try to read uh, a real book or something mm -hmm. uh, so that I just relax. And when I do find myself waking up, I did one of those at two o'clock this morning, all of a sudden I'm waking up to solve the world's problems. Um, maybe because I am running for Congress, but <laughs> you know, I learned to meditate myself back to sleep. That can be worried about mm -hmm. tomorrow. Let's try to get some sleep. So, so actually it's interesting at the International Conference in, in London this last summer, there was a presentation about one of the risk factors that 
is easily manageable, and it has to do with sleep apnea. So not treating sleep apnea significantly increases your risk of Alzheimer's. And of course, sleep apnea is something that's pretty easy to identify. If a person at night snores significantly, and if you wake up because your person you're sleeping with seems to stop breathing, and then have a big snort when they start breathing again, that's an indication of sleep apnea, and uh, that's easily treatable. So the, the two interesting reports this summer that I think are easily manageable and significantly inc- increase risk of Alzheimer's was managing sleep apnea and also people who have mild to moderate hearing loss and don't address their hearing loss. Wow, really? I had not mm-hmm. heard about Because hearing. if they have hearing loss and they don't treat it, they end up isolating a little bit. I mean, we all know people like this. Probably you were around them for Thanksgiving, people who say, huh, what? And then they just stop talking because they can't follow the conversation because they're not catching all of it. They're not catching all of Mm -hmm. it. Now, see all those years in rock and roll? Everyone made fun of me backstage at the summit because I would go to the bathroom and wad up the little toilet paper and stick it in my ears. That was not cool. Well, it was because it was sticking out of your ear. Probably that was it. It was not very attractive. But I was. I mean, early. I mean, even then, it was like you know, if you're going to stand on the side of the stage yeah. with Sammy Hagar, you better have stuff stuck Sunny in your ears because yeah. it's very loud up there. Yeah. Um, okay, so we all want to live to a ripe old age and and still be functioning, but odds are one of us is maybe going to have it in a relationship. Correct. Correct. So we need to prepare early on for what's coming. I am a huge proponent of long-term care insurance. And yes, the longer you wait, the more expensive it gets. Mm-hmm. I bought mine at um <coughs> excuse me, I bought mine at 47 years old and people said, "Oh, you're entirely too young." But it was the most amazing peace of mind and because I did buy it at such a young age, it was less than $100 a month. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that's a lot of money mm-hmm. to some people. Uh, and then there are others who could give up a few lattes mm-hmm. um, and and pay for that. Mm-hmm. So, so we're prepared for it. I never wanted my kids to go through my three sons to go through what I've watched my um, my husband's ex. I call her my wife-in-law. I watched her go through it with both of her parents because there was not she had to pay mm-hmm. for their assisted living. We spent forty-two thousand dollars of our savings. Now, granted, we were lucky we had that, mm-hmm. but it's forty-two thousand dollars I don't have in savings now mm-hmm. because once mom's savings ran out, mm-hmm. her VA benefits and her Social Security benefits didn't even cover half of the care as as she needed more and more um so advice to somebody listening richard on preparing even though there's no signs of it whatsoever right now preparing financially well i think you know there's a limit to what many people can do in terms of preparing financially Um, what they can do though is certainly talk with their loved ones about how they want to be dealt with if they develop Alzheimer's or ask their loved ones, their parents, or other people they may be responsible for how they would like to be handled if they were to develop Alzheimer's disease, if they were not able to make their own decisions, to make sure that they have something in place, some kind of a will, that there's a power of attorney so someone else could make a decision. We see so many families where there are no legal documents in place, and all of a sudden we have someone who has Alzheimer's cannot then establish a power of attorney and no one's able to actually make decisions. And by the way, people are always surprised when I tell them 
Social Security and most government agencies will not recognize that legal power of attorney. Not, no. They, they, you know, they could not care less about it. It's like, nope, not going to use it. So there's a lot of things. I put together a list of about 30 questions that are in the book. I also have them on the website, so I'll put a link to that one. I'm putting all the links up uh, for the podcast later on. And it's everything from um, if you have a, any sort of security, what's, what are the codes for your security? How do we get right. into your Facebook page? Mm-hmm. Who's your legacy contact on your social media? If you have animals, what do you want done with your animals? Mm-hmm. Um, it's all these questions. My mom and I very, 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 I like to say organized. Other people like to say anal retentive (laughs) and a little obsessive compulsive, but we had everything done. I was on all of her bank accounts. I knew where everything was. She had written her obituaries. I think she even knew what was happening before any of the rest of us did. She had list of who to call and what to do. And on the bottom of things, it was like, this is an antique. If you throw this away, I'll haunt you the rest of your life. It was like, okay, she did. She had notes on everything. The one thing, though, I had never asked her, which will always be a source of guilt. It still is to this day even though it lessens over time, and that is if you become incapacitated and Mm. need 24-7 care with something such as Alzheimer's, where would you like to live because you cannot live with me? I can't work and take care of you, and I have a multi-level house. There's no way... Uh, so that was always a great source of guilt that I had. I found a private care home for her, mm-hmm. and um, to the day she died, she was mad about it. She was she didn't know I was Dana, but she was mad at Dana mm-hmm. about it. Um, so that was something I wish I had had that conversation. And I always advise people: don't say to your kids, um, you know, I want you to take care of me. Don't put me in a home. I, I, that's just that you know, you raise your kids to go off and start their own lives. You, it's hard to take care of an Alzheimer's patient. It's a twenty-four-seven thing. Right. right. Um, so, Stacia, Stacia, and, and Brenda, um, have you had to deal with this in your lives yet? Not personally, but um, at the previous job I was at, um, Shelter and Armed Senior Services, we did have mm-hmm. that daycare facility. So I did get to see daily how the patients would interact, and we um, set the. They had the facility set up. So, um, for example, there was a guy who used to be an architect. So whenever he would come in, they had a special room with him with floor plans and building plans. And he thought he was going to work. So he would go in there, grab his briefcase every day. But that was his little space. And so how um, great they did that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Richard, I do have a question. You know, the big thing now is. Candy Crush and Juice Jam and Word Scrabble mm-hmm. on the phones. Is that considered a good brain stimulant um, as far as keeping you going for your cognitive skills? To, yeah, um, help isn't that a, I, you're going to be sad with the answer? <laughs> <laughs> and do not send me an invitation to any of those games. So, Don't. So, so there's no research that suggests that those actually have that that they stimulate the brain in any way that that is maintained over time. So the the thing that seems to really be stimulating for the brain is to do things that are new, where you're actually having new learning. And so if you don't play the piano, to start learning to play the piano would stimulate your brain and actually would create new connections between brain cells. But if you play the piano, playing the pieces that you've played since you were a child is not not really going to make any difference. So I always tell the story, my grandmother had Alzheimer's, and she 
really until the end, she could knit a sweater without ever looking down mm -hmm. while speaking in multiple languages because she spoke multiple languages from when she was a child. So she could have three people in the living room who spoke different languages and she would speak to each of them in their own language while knitting a sweater without looking down. Now, if But none I, of that was new. That's right. It wasn't new. So right. she developed Alzheimer's. It that what she was doing was not challenging her brain. Right. Now, for me to learn how to knit cuz she tried to teach me and let's just say it was a failed attempt. And the thing that I did very successfully was throw the ball of yarn across the living room because I, I couldn't make it happen. I, it was challenging for me. And instead of having the patience to try and learn it, which would have created those new brain connections, I just didn't have the patience. And that's the challenge we have is as we get older, learning something new is harder and harder. And so we're resistant to it. So someone who does has always done the the you know like uh like sudoku mm -hmm. and they do sudoku very comfortably i mean not saying that they can do it immediately but right. they know how to do it mm -hmm. them doing a new sudoku puzzle is not yeah. learning new right. they're using the same brain connections but if they're terrible with words and they started playing scrabble with people they would be challenged because they're See, not. I started doing crosswords because I'm there that person go. that can figure out Sudoku all the time. But yes. So I started doing crosswords, and that just and makes me brain mad. Yes, yeah. so that's the perfect brain <laughs> stimulation. My brother-in-law is a leading neurologist in Naples, Florida, and, and that was he has said the exact same thing to me, and he even wrote the, the chapter in the book of trying to sort of bring things down to just normal people's speak level. Um, but what he said was, you know, Sudoku is not going to do you any good. Do you play it all the time? I said, yeah. He goes, well, then it's not going to do you any good. He goes, learn to speak Chinese. So I put, there's a free <laughs> app I put on my phone, and I can't say one word of Chinese. I get very frustrated, but I at least try to do it every once in a while mm -hmm. um, because it does make my brain work in different yeah. ways. What... What information, what is the, the most common information people call the Alzheimer's Association for? And let's give out that number, that website, and what it, where we can send people who need more information. Sure. So you can call 800-272-3900. That's 800-272-3900. And you can actually call from anywhere in the United States, and you'll be connected to your local chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. And if you call in the middle of the night, you'll be connected to people who work for the Alzheimer's Association based in Chicago who have expertise in Alzheimer's disease. You can go to our website at alz.org, alz.org, which is a, just a, an incredible compendium of Alzheimer's information. And um, I would say the thing that people always want to know is, how do I know if I have Alzheimer's disease? Which, um, if you're asking the question, you probably at least need to find out why you're asking, why the, are you question. asking the question. And so it's worth going to an expert in Alzheimer's disease to have some kind of an evaluation uh, and determine. And of course, not everything that causes people to have some kind of a cognitive impairment, first of all, it's not all Alzheimer's, and also some of it is reversible or treatable. So uh, we certainly would want. So if you're having issues and you're a little bit, you know, you've lost those keys. Correct. Well, a lot more often than normal. Right. If something is, is just different for you than what's normal for you, that's really a clue that something perhaps needs to be evaluated. By the time our loved ones are recognizing that we're slipping, 
it's more advanced because oh mom had probably had it five to seven years we just kept ah oh, she's just getting older oh she's just spoiled right. oh she's not paying attention right and and that we're sort all of good thing. at coping you know we're all very good at at changing our behavior and covering so by the time we're we're not able to cover and we don't realize we've told the same story the third time in 15 minutes yeah or that we're looking at our keys but we don't recognize them as our keys that's more advanced but certainly even in that situation this is not normal aging this is not we don't all just start to become cognitively impaired as we age we all know people who are 100 years old and we use the term sharp as a tack right so but then someone who's 50 or 55 could potentially be developing some kind of cognitive impairment and they should have it they should have it evaluated to see what's causing it. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, the CEO of the Alzheimer's Association of Houston in Southeast Texas, Richard Elbing. Um, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you. Um, we have to have these conversations about Alzheimer's. That was one of the first things I discovered when mom was diagnosed, is no one talks about it. Yes. And, you know, me, no filter whatsoever, started talking about it. And it's created a lot of conversations. And if we help just one person, it's definitely worth it. That 800 number from anywhere in the country, if you have questions about Alzheimer's, 24-7-800-272-3900. My co-hosts for the hour are Stacia Scruggs and Brenda Sykes, still sitting here with me from the Bay Area Turning Point. We'll be talking some more about the 2017 holiday market. And coming up in just a few minutes, Dr. John Jacob, the director of the Texas Coastal Watershed Program and the free flood program happening tonight as we look towards the future and... Uh, Try to figure out what to do before another Harvey hits. You're listening to The Voice for Southeast Texas. I'm Dana Steele. We'll be right back. My grandpa. You're listening to The Voice for Southeast Texas. Dana Steele. what you are unforgettable though near or far like a song of love that clings to me how the thought of you does things to me Never before has someone been more unforgettable in every way and forevermore that's how you stay. That's why, darling, it's incredible That someone so unforgettable Thinks that I am unforgettable
in every way And forevermore That's how you'll stay That's why, darling It's incredible That someone so unforgettable Thinks that I am unforgettable too For a high-level business networking opportunity, then look no further than Vinyl Draft. Mark your calendar for 7 p.m. on the third Tuesday of each month and join Doug Meisinger and Bertrand McHenry along with co-host Kelly Williams for a totally unique networking concept. No selling, no passing out business cards, just a place to mix, mingle, and create relationships with Clear Lake Area's top professionals. All of this with the fine food and craft cocktails of Preamble Lounge and Craft House and an all-vinyl LP soundtrack. And remember, it's Vinyl Draft. Wear something nice. If you would like to be in the studio audience for Dana's show, contact info at vinyldraft.com. That's info at V-I-N-Y-L-D-R-A-U-G-H-T dot com. Now, back to more of Dana Steele, the voice for Southeast Texas from the Associated Credit Union of Texas studio. Welcome back to The Voice for Southeast Texas. I'm Dana Steele. We started this little experiment, this little podcast, this little uh, program uh, a couple weeks ago. I think this is show number four for us. And look at this. We've got a room full of people. If you're watching on Facebook right now, and if you're listening to the podcast later on in the week, remember you can listen and watch live every Tuesday morning on Vinyl Draft Radio from 9 to 10. My co-host today, and we always like to give that co-host spot to a nonprofit in Southeast Texas. Today it's Stacia Scruggs and Brenda Sykes from the Bay Area Turning Point, the holiday market coming up December the 14th. Now we've talked about all the great work that Bay Area Turning Point does for domestic abuse um, uh, victims and the work that you're doing to help provide not only housing, but uh, just getting people back on their feet. Uh, But let's talk about the holiday market real quick what are some of the things people are going to be able to buy because you know that's what they come for yes so they'll be able to buy herbs spices jams tea um arts and craft um stones candles um, candles that's what brenda's looking forward to <laughs> i know she said her eyes are candles <laughs> essential loves, oils essential oils yeah we like those There's my lavender I think oils i can sleep like those and clothes clothing all right so yes. and how do you buy tickets um you can go to our website at bayareaturningpoint.org click on i donate that button's in the middle of the page or you can call us 281-338-7600 we can take your information over the phone or if you would like to do a check you can mail a check into the office at 210 South Walnut Webster Texas 77598 and we'll put all this on the website joining me right now is Dr. John Jacob the director of the Texas Coastal Watershed Program tonight there's a free program at the Gil Ruth Center uh, you use the public entrance off of Space Center Boulevard it runs from 7 to 10 tonight I will be there at 7 I don't know if I can last till 10 I'm such a lightweight now um, but it's such important 
information. It's the Bay Area Storm Water Flooding Forum, Harvey, Ike, and our future. Uh, we are, so many of us, still recovering and rebuilding from Harvey, but we have to look to the future and figure out you know, what What do we need to do? What can we do? Um, what should we be doing? And uh, Dr. Jacob, a fellow Aggie, gig him. Gig him all the way. Yeah, lost a bet on that game this weekend, but uh, there you go. So so um, give me a little bit of your background. Sure. Where did your expertise come from? Well, I'm basically a watershed scientist. So just as a name of our uh, little group is called the Texas Coastal Watershed Program. We're part of A&M. Uh, we're not based on the main campus, though. We're based right here in Clear Lake, in mm-hmm. fact. Um, so as a watershed scientist, we talk about everything that happens in a watershed. And a watershed is basically uh, a piece of land on the earth that drains to a common outlet. So all the water that drains into Galveston Bay is the Galveston Bay watershed. And then we have sub-watersheds there. We might have the Armand Bayou watershed that we are in right here. All the water here drains into Armand Bayou, and then, of course, that goes into Clear Lake. And I'm going to get you just a little bit closer to the mic. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, there's going to be, I think, eight speakers tonight. Ten o'clock, seven to ten. Um, And and everybody speaking on the same thing, or are there opposing views or opposing ideas? Tell me a little bit about how the program will run tonight. Well, I don't know that they're opposing views. Let's just say they're different views, maybe complementary views. you know, we've had a variety of ways of thinking about flooding over the years. And mm-hmm. there's an engineering approach to flooding. Which would be the Ike Dyke or the coastal spine. The Ike Dyke. And then the, the drainage ways that we establish. The, you know, we channelize uh, our streams and the detention ponds. And then there's more of an ecological approach, which involves working with nature. Now, it's not always one or the other. It's usually complementary. But we've been very much on the engineering side up until now. Harvey is forcing a very major reevaluation into thinking about, well, you know, nature might know best. Maybe we need to work with nature a little more on this. Respect the land. Well, that was my question. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've, and since I'm running for Congress, and this is oh. such a big part of, mm-hmm. of the conversation, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, filed to run for Congress, and then Harvey hit, it became even a bigger mm-hmm. part of the conversation. The Ike Dyke, in theory, I'm asked about this a lot when I'm out in the district. How do you feel about the Ike Dyke? I said, you know, I've, I've flooded severely in my home during Ike and during Harvey. Um, in theory, it seems like a really good idea, but I, I want to wait and see environmental studies and the Corps of Engineers. And, um, you know, we talk about what is happening in Galveston Bay. Dr. Jacob, if you were, if you were in charge of the world... If you could make the decision right now and sign off, what would you recommend that we do going forward? And and then, then the other question I have, and I don't know if you can answer this or not, but it will be one of the questions I asked tonight, is Harvey was a rain event. Harvey was not a surge event. That's right. If the, if, if the Ike Dyke had been built, you know, the entire thing they want to do, and those gates were mm-hmm. closed, would it have held the water in and created even worse flooding? Um, but... Tell me your ideas sure. for moving forward. How mm-hmm. do we keep this from happening again without all of us just having to pick up and move? Right, exactly. Uh, well, those gates, uh, certainly even the proponents of the Ike Dyke would say that those gates would have been left open okay. so the water could move out. But 
that system would have done nothing for the flooding that we had way upstream, right? That The Ike Dike is strictly for storm surge, not for uh, flooding. So we really have to think about the whole uh, area here as a system. Uh, and we need to recognize the kind of area that we live in. We're on the upper Gulf Coast of Texas. It's flat and it rains a lot. And sometimes it rains a whole heck of a lot more. So we've just got to face that. We've got to lean into that, lean into that vulnerability. We've got to recognize our vulnerabilities. You know, we've got a, we've got a vulnerability expert in, in, in Houston. You might have heard her name, Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. And she talks about vulnerabilities. So, I, you know, if you sort of put that over on the watershed side and flooding, it's recognizing those vulnerabilities. And, and she uses the phrase, lean into them. We have been fighting the environment. We have been doing our best to try to control the floods, to try to control the water. You can't do that. You might as well just forget that. Yeah, I tried that with my house this time. It didn't work. Yeah, so you flooded this time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's a big difference that, that, that why Harvey is having such an impact. You know, in the past floods, you know, I would ask people, as I frequently give talks, you know, did, did, you, uh, did you get flooded? Very few people would raise their hands. Were you close to being flooded? And I've asked that recently. More hands go up. And then I say, do you know anyone personally who had to leave their home? Every hand shoots Every up. Hand Everyone up. here, you know someone. Right. So this is a way different. Now, when that will come again, I don't know. But we need to think about that as the new normal. We may not get a widespread flood like that for some time. But we, we can absolutely expect 15, 20, 30-inch floods to occur, perhaps in a more limited area. But we will see we will see flood just like the tax day floods. It wasn't all over the place, but mm-hmm. where it hit, so everywhere is going to be subject to these kind of things. So I think what we have to think about is, you know, how do we best deal with that? Now I'm not saying no engineering at all, right? We, but we, how do we work with Mother Nature well, instead of trying to right. change Mother Nature? How do we work with her? Well, the number one thing is to recognize the floodplains. So these floodplains are valleys that are carved out in the landscape by our bayous, by our creeks over millennia. They've Creeks flow down the landscape, and they cut out these valleys that we call floodplains. So I'm not talking about how it's drawn on a map. I'm talking about the actual floodplains. So plains. quit building us subway sandwiches in the floodplains. And houses and, and, and everything houses else. And houses and concrete and That's roads and – All of that. Yeah. These floodplains need to be our green infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So this is what we call ecological resilience. So there's two kinds of resilience, ecological resilience and engineering resilience. So when we talk about engineering resilience, right, to be the ability to bounce back, our designs are based on the idea of fail-safe. You put that big levee out in the Brazos River, right? We have a lot of levees out in Fort Bend County. Mm-hmm. You presume that there will be no failure. Now, you all might have all remembered the county judge out there talking about, well, you know, if this crests above 58 feet or 59 feet, we're going to be in trouble. So when you put in these engineering designs, if you're not careful, you create what is called a moral hazard. A moral hazard means that I incentivize you to do something you shouldn't do. I build a levee, you build your house in a floodplain. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be building in floodplains. No, and look, at that's happened to so many people, yeah. um, even even from the, the reservoir, Attucks and, mm-hmm. and Barker Cypress. Mm-hmm. And then people go, what Absolutely. do you mean I built in a flood? No, when I bought my yeah. house, no one told me. Mm-hmm. You know, and they built schools, and they built yeah. subdivisions, yep. and, and malls, and Absolutely. strip centers. And then everybody goes, damn, where'd the water come from? Mm-hmm. So I think it's the same thing on the storm surge side. We live in an area that has storm surges. There's no doubt about it. Right. The question is, how you know? We certainly want to protect ourselves. We don't want to be in 
the storm, the water's way, right? We have a little phrase that says, "Hide from wind, run from water," mm-hmm. because you you can't. And I, but I'm talking not a, not up not upstream, but right on the right on the bay. Those when that water wall of water comes in, you don't want to be there. No, when they say evacuate, yeah. we leave. You saw we what just, happened on Bolivar, right? It's right. all it's you all. leave. But the question is, how you know what's the best way to do it? So I'm not saying, well, if I were as you say, I had the. Uh, mandate or the possibility to change everything, I would tend to say let's use planning. Let's stay out of harm's way. Let's not build things where they shouldn't be built. So, of course, you'll say, well, you know, the Ike Dyke, we've got, we need to protect all of this petrochemical uh, infrastructure, and we have a lot of houses there. Here's here's the problem. I was at a, a, at a uh, symposium not too long ago where they were talking about uh, what some hospitals had done to protect themselves precisely against storm surge. And one of the hospitals there, this was actually in Galveston, the, the conference, one of the hospitals was UTMB. And it was they gave a wonderful presentation on all the things they had done to sort of batten down, to be prepared for another Ike. So, you know, the submarine doors, the this, the that. I mean, just mm-hmm. I think they spent like a half a billion bucks to prepare. So I said to them, uh, if the Ike Dyke had been in place, would you have done all that you did? Mm. And they very rapidly and quickly said, well, of course not. Mm. Of course we wouldn't do that. So the question is, do we want to put all of our eggs in one basket, so to speak? And the question that has to be asked, and again, I'm not saying you know, it's one way or the other. I'm just saying this question has to be asked. What will happen in the event of a failure of that Ike Dyke? Right, and that question is not being asked, and that's the moral hazard because if you is if that you, one of the studies that the Corps of Engineers will do? I know that they're still those studies are not expected to be yeah. finished till what mid to end 2018. I you know what? Well, that's right. So I don't I, certainly they will they will look at the cost benefit analysis right. and say, well, if we build it, we'll protect this much much infrastructure. The question though is, what happens if it breaks? Is it all hell breaks loose? Is it just a little trickle that comes through? What is that danger? That's what we have to ask ourselves. And so would it be better to put all of our eggs in that Ike Dyke basket? Well, maybe so, but let's, let's at least go into it with our eyes wide open. Or would it be better to do like UTMB does? You know, you prepare yourself. And I think all we could, we could, we could at least analyze or ask ourselves, well, could the petrochemical infrastructure we have? Could these plants? Are there practices and procedures? Which they, they say they are, and they and they've said that all along mm-hmm. and through all of the building, and then you know, Arkema, we saw it right. just that that went out the window. The emergency mm-hmm. procedures, right. everything they were supposed to do. We're speaking with Dr. John Jacob, director of the Texas Coastal Watershed Program. He's one of eight special guests tonight at the Gilruz Center at Johnson Space Center. You come in on the uh, in the uh, public entrance off of Space Center Boulevard. It is a free program, a free forum from seven until ten o'clock tonight. I highly encourage people to come to it. It's the Bay Area Storm Water Flooding Forum, Harvey Ike and our future. And that's what we're talking about right now in a briefer form are some of the things that we can do. Uh, Dr. Jacob, his expertise, of course, being in the watershed. Um, A lot of this goes back to, you know, one of the reasons I decided to run for Congress, and that is it's profit over people. Um, So as we keep building, we keep building, we keep building. I noticed there were a lot of houses down the street from me that have never flooded. They didn't flood during Ike. They just don't flood. But over time, they've built up so much behind them. They, they back up to those businesses on NASA Road. So we've got more hotels. We've got more restaurants. We've got more strip centers. They all have to build, what, 12 to 14 feet up because of the, um, the requirements. They're filling in all of those 
uh, what would be a tiny watershed, I guess, mm-hmm. those lots that had ditches mm-hmm. and, and, and dirt to absorb mm-hmm. the water. And when Harvey happened, they filled up with three, four, five feet of water mm-hmm. because they're designed to drain into Taylor Lake. Well, Taylor mm-hmm. Lake was flooded. Right. And then you had all that water pouring in because it had nowhere to go. So, I mean, that's probably a simplistic explanation of a watershed, but mm-hmm. the water has to have somewhere to go, mm-hmm. and it's going to go there it whether is. you want it to or not. Well, it is, absolutely. And so what you mentioned there in terms of what people can do on site, you know, to increase the what we call a pervious surface where water can soak in. So every time you have more development in the upper part of the watershed, there's more runoff, right, because the water can't get in. So that definitely contributes to flooding. But Harvey sort of turns everything on its head now. So, you know, if you're talking about a five-inch rain or a 10-inch rain, those surfaces make a big difference. And the wetlands make a big I'm a wetland scientist, too, so they make a big difference. When you're talking about 35 inches, 50 mm-hmm. inches in a storm, all bets are off. Because we did, what, 51 bet. inches? I think Harvey was well, 51. Well, in some places. The average in Harris County was 35. Wow. But the over, you know, there's places like in Cedar Bayou that were 51 inches. But regardless, that's a lot of rain. Right. So, so all bets are off. Everything fills up. All the wetlands fill up, all the swells, all of the, the detention and conveyance system that we have constructed. It all fills up because it's only designed for a 100-year storm which at least until now, we're changing our ideas about that, would be about a 15-inch storm or something like that. So we're talking all of a sudden 35. Everything fills up. So we have to, now we've got to really rethink things. And that's why I say we come back to those floodplains. Those are the areas that we need now to, to preserve. And we need to vacate those areas as we can. It's difficult heart-rendering for some people because you've been places like Meyerland where you've built mm-hmm. and you live there. And that there. was a floodplain. And it boy, is. did they find it, out. It is a floodplain. And, they, and now they've put in, they're putting in new infrastructure. They're widening that channel, putting concrete in. But they're only raising, they're only bringing it up to a 100-year standard, which mm-hmm. we are now realizing that the hundreds, it, the, there's an article in today's newspaper. NASA is putting out data that that 100-year storm really isn't you know, a 100-year storm is more like 15 or 18 inches. Not well, we have about 30 seconds before we wrap this section up. What can the average citizen listening to you and I speak today, what can they do? Well, number one, you better know what, what, your, what risk your neighborhood is under mm-hmm. and your house. Uh, you should probably buy flood insurance. If you're not on the floodplain, buy it fl- anyway. Buy it anyway. I have meteor insurance and ah. earthquake. I have Whoa. everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the best thing is, so the neighborhood I live in doesn't flood. It's the east end of Houston. Mm-hmm. We're convex. I got up to my curbs, wow. but most. Okay, but I but I'm built pier and beam housing. So if you're thinking about a new house, we always built pier and beam. Mm-hmm. So my house, my lot is elevated three feet above the street. I have another four feet my pier and beam, that crawl space underneath. I've got seven feet of buffer You're above right, we the don't street. do that anymore. Yeah, so. we need to do that. So you need to think, you need to think wherever you live, there's a danger, right, mm-hmm. of street and flooding. And be prepared for it. Don't go anywhere. We're going to okay. take a break. We'll come back and wrap up with everybody and all the information. You're listening to The Voice for Southeast Texas. I'm Dana Steele, and we will be right back. You're listening to The Voice for Southeast Texas. Dana Steele.
Now, back to more of Dana Steele, the voice for Southeast Texas from the Associated Credit Union of Texas studio. Welcome back to The Voice for Southeast Texas. I am Dana Steele. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Remember, if you want more information on my campaign and what we're doing there, it's danasteele36.com, D-A-Y-N-A-S-T-E-E-L-E. 36.com district 36 covers the best of southeast texas it covers a huge area of southeast texas my co-host today we always try to have a nonprofit. so if you have a nonprofit in southeast texas in one of the nine counties we represent which are orange let's see i got to start at the top uh polk tyler jasper newton harden liberty orange chambers Harris County, 732,000 people. I bet there's a few nonprofits in there. We always invite a nonprofit to come be our co host. Joining me today has been uh, Stacia Scruggs and Brenda Sykes with the Bay Area Turning Point, the 18th annual holiday market. I'm the honorary chair. Thank Yay. you so much. Yay. Happening December the 14th at Sylvan Beach Pavilion in LaPorte. Tickets are available. Tickets are available at BayAreaTurningPoint.org, or you can call us at 281-338-7600. Dana, I also want to say something really quick. Today is yes. Giving Tuesday. Um, please visit our Facebook page, Bayer Turning Point, our Twitter, and we have hashtag GivingTuesday, B-A-T-P. Please support us. No de- donation is too small or too large. <laughs> Real quick, isn't there? I, I I know I've got facts and figures on all these papers somewhere, but it's like forty five dollars does. You know, tell me real quick. Give me a a number that people can relate to and know what it helps. Yes, $45 pays for one night of shelter for one adult and two children. Mm -hmm. So if you just donate $45, you're helping a family remain safe for one night. I love that. Also joining us, the CEO of the Alzheimer's Association, Richard Elbean, that 800 number? 800-272-3900 or alz.org. And, of course, it's giving... Tuesday for us, too. (laughs) (laughs) And then our final guest, Dr. John Jacob Gigamag. He's director of the Texas Coastal Watershed Program. He is one of the special uh, guests, eight guests tonight from 7 to 10 at the Gilruth at Johnson Space Center. Use the public entrance off of Space Center Boulevard. It is a very, very, very important forum for all of us, for all of our neighbors. Bay Area Storm Water Flooding Forum, Harvey Ike, and Our Future. How are we going to prepare Uh, for these water events and surge events moving forward. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, for more information, you can go to danasteele36.com, D-A-Y-N-A-S-T-E-E-L-E-36.com. If you would like to be a co-host, you'd like to be a guest, or you'd like to be in the studio audience, and special guest to my um, new podcast producer and booker vicky parker who has just taken charge and is doing such an amazing job we'll be back next tuesday live 9 a.m right here on vinyl draft radio for the voice for southeast texas have a great week you've been listening to the voice for southeast texas dana Steele. for more information or to be on the show visit danasteel36.com that's d-a-y-n-a-s-t-e-e-l-e-36.com Join us next Tuesday at 9 a.m. for more of The Voice for Southeast Texas, Dana Steele. Vinyl Draft Radio is recorded live in the Associated Credit Union of Texas studio.
For info on hosting your own show on Vinyl Draft Radio, contact us via email at info at vinyldraftradio.com or by phone at 281-210-4608. The preceding program, The Voice for Southeast Texas, was paid for by the Dana Steele Campaign.